You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Heavenly Father, we do pray to you. Lord, we do ask that your name would be hallowed, it would be worshipped, it would be exalted. Lord, we thank you that you are the Father, the eternal Father. And Lord, we do bow before you as our Father, as Paul says in Ephesians, and from whom all families in heaven and earth derive their name. Lord, that according to the riches of your glory, that you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Holy Spirit in our inner being. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that you and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, a love that is expressed through the gospel, a love that you demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. May we be rooted and grounded in that love and may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints in all the churches, all over the world, and all ethnic groups, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that we may be filled with all the fullness of you, Father. As your word says, that we may be filled with all the fullness of you as our Heavenly Father, which is a mind-boggling thought. Lord, now to you, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to your power that is in work within us, to you be glory in your church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, even all the generations represented here at Red Sea right now, and forever and ever. Amen. This morning we're going to be uh, at message number 20 of our uh, about 45-part series through the Old Testament. So we're halfway there, guys. You've done well. Um, and I don't know about you guys, I have just loved this, this series so far. I, I have a whole new perspective and appreciation and knowledge of God's plan that I, I didn't have coming into this. Um, and so I hope you guys have, have valued and have learned a lot and are, and are taking it and applying it to your life. Uh, last week, uh, Royce uh, tackled a really difficult topic of when God commands Israel, when they enter into to Canaan, that they're, for the most part, to commit a genocide. They're to kill everyone in the land of Canaan. And, uh, dude, kudos for tackling a, a tough passage that a lot of pastors would avoid because it's not politically correct. 
So if you guys weren't here last week, that audio is up on the web, and it's worth listening to because at some point, as you interact with uh, people and you're talking about the Bible and you're talking about God, that is going to come up. Like that's, I've, I've talked to guys before who've read the Bible and said, I don't like that. The Bible's not correct because that is in there. Uh, and one of the things that, that Roy said that, that really jumped out to me and, and, and was real impactful this last week, he said, why does this bother us that God uh, told them to commit genocide? And said, he said, uh, we position ourselves to decide what is true and what's not true because we think God is like us. Uh, and he also talked about how we like to question authority. And, uh, and he said, we cannot comprehend the magnitude of God and his sense of justice. You know, and, and, and that, that's rang so true to me over, over the last week as I've continued to walk through this word and, and, I, and I read it. I have to constantly come back to, okay, this is God's word. This is authority. This is truth. This is the best way, right? If God is good, right, and perfect, if that's of his nature, what comes out of his nature, which is his word, his revelation to us, is the best thing. It is good. And so it's not for us to question what is good and what is not good in God's Word, or to question what we should or shouldn't do. It's our job to be obedient because it's authority, because He is good, right, and perfect. And we're going to have to carry that thought into today's message as we get into the book of Judges, because the book of Judges also tackles some some really, really uh, difficult uh, topics. uh, where we kind of left off last week was, was this idea that, that the people had entered into the, the, to the land of Canaan, and they had entered in with this, this command that God had given them, and it's in Deuteronomy 7, uh, 1 through 6. And if you have your Bible, you can flip over there. If not, um, I think we're going to have that one up on the screen. I have a lot of Scripture, and I can't remember which ones are up on the screen or not, so you're going to have to kind of power through it back there, Nate. Um, Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 6 says, When the Lord your God... Uh, brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Uh, Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash into pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. For the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, and out of all the peoples who are on the, on the face of the earth. This is your command. When you go in to fulfill my promises, I need, it to, I need you to do it my way, not just whatever way you want. And, and, it, and I know this is, it's almost, I feel like we're kind of beating a dead horse and that we keep saying this over and over again. But as God's people today, it is imperative that as we move forward in obedience to following God, that we do it His way. That we don't say, okay, well, I see that in the Bible, but I don't think that's the best way to do it, so I'm going to do it this way. That's living like an unbeliever would live. You would be a, a confessional and say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible. But functionally, you live like an atheist when you don't live according to how the Bible calls us to live. And, and this, is, this is what stuck out to me over and over this week, is we are making decisions as a, as a family, as a church. Dads, you're making decisions that are affecting your families. 
And we've got to make sure that those decisions line up with the truth of God's word. So that's why we study the truth and we know it and we talk to God and and we preach repetitively over and over again because we as a people are so prone to forget, right? So we have to remember, we have to remember, and that's something I want us to do. I want us to remember that that it matters how we follow God and how we are obedient to him. So if that's the command that he gave them, right? Deuteronomy, that's the command. Here's what I want you to do. If Joshua is them actually going into the land, then Judges is their disobedience as they enter into the land. Because if you open up your Bibles to the the first chapter of Judges in in verse 1, look what it says here. So they've gone in, the landsmen divided among the different tribes. They're each to, as they move into this section of land, if there's someone that lives there, they are to wipe those people out. As they go in, and Royce walked through like six reasons last week why it was important for them to do that. And one of the main ones was because God knew that those people would lead them away. That they would lead them into their false worship of their gods. And so he said, don't intermarry with them. You know, and and he walked through a a lot of really good reasons for that. But look what they do here as they enter into the land. In verse 19, and the Lord says, the Lord was with Judah. He took possession of the hill country. I don't think this one is on your slide. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. So there's something going on there. I mean, they have chariots of iron, but God opened the Red Sea and he destroyed the chariots of Egypt. I think there's some type of lack of faith there on Judah's part, right? He's like, oh man, they have chariots of iron. I'm not going in there, right? I'm not going, I'm not doing that. Look in 31, the people of Benjamin, another tribe, did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. I wonder, I wonder if that, what part of that is still remains true. Like what, what is still going on in the Middle East today as a result of the failure to disobey so, such a long time ago? Down in 21, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of uh, Beth Shean and its villages or Tanakh and its villages or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megado and its villages. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in the land. Uh, it says they did not drive them out completely. In 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, and on and on. 30, uh, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kiran. 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of uh, of, uh, of Aco or a bunch of different places. 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of this place that I can't pronounce and that place that I can't pronounce. And it goes on and on, right? In 35, the Amorites persisted in dwelling. Right? Like, wow, like how can, how can they get so far off in, that, in Deuteronomy? Like, you know, that was right after they received the Ten Commandments, before they had entered, entered, even entered into the Promised Land. He said, when you do this, when you follow me, when you fulfill my blessing... This is how you're supposed to do it. And Joshua, even at the end of his life, if you look in, I think it's like 26, 4 or 5. Jo- Let's look at it. I think Joshua says, it's not 26, it's 23, 6. Joshua says, therefore be strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from, from it, neither to the right or to the left, um, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear, by, or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as, as you have done to this day. Wow. So they, they go in to fulfill the promises of God, to fulfill the, the, the great thing that God has been promising them for how long now? You know, since Abraham? 
God said that he was going to give them this place, and they finally get there. And then as they're moving forward, they, they once again, they don't listen. And, and they're, not, they're not obedient to God. And so what I want us to do is look at the book of Judges from the perspective of what happens when we're not obedient to God. What happens when we choose to do things our own way instead of doing it God's way? And this message is going to be basically an overview of what the purpose of Judges is. And then next week, I want us to look at a, a couple, some of the Judges themselves. I'm not sure if we're going to do uh, Gideon or Samson. We're going to do one of those two. They're both like just uh, great stories which we can learn a lot of stuff. So this is going to be more of an overview of the purpose of the book. And the next week will be uh, one of the examples of the, of the of the judges. And so as they go into this land, they don't do it the way that God had called them to. So there's consequences of living outside of God of God's word. It says uh, in, in, in 2.10, um, actually I'm going to do 2.2 uh, here, here. It says, uh, um, you shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, but when you do not obey my voice... Um, when you do not obey my voice, what is this you have done? Now I say I will drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns to your sides, and their gods shall become a snare to you. So God said, I will drive them out before you, but because you didn't obey, instead these people that are continuing to live in this land are going to be a thorn to your side. And not only that, God's going to show in the book of Judges that he will even use those nations to teach you a lesson of what life is like outside of living obediently to him. And I think this is such a good reminder for us on Father's Day, right? Because what happens here is God gives a command to one generation, to a group of of dads, leaders of their families, and says, hey, as you go into the promised land, you're to to do it this way, and they don't obey. That's what we read in, in, in chapter one. They don't obey for a number of different reasons. We don't know what all they are. I think for the most part, they didn't kill everyone because they wanted to use them as slave labor. They, they saw, man, this is a big land. It's going to require a lot of work. I could, I could do it God's way and destroy those people like I'm supposed to. Or if I kept them around and just made them my laborers, that would be nice. You know, like then I don't have to work as hard. I can use them. But God said, no, that's not the way I told you to do it. Because now you're going to intermarry with those people and they're going to lead you into idolatry and you're going to turn away from me. And so we, we take our rational mind and we say, okay, I, this is what I want to do. I know God's word says this, but I'm going to do it this way. Like, I know God's word says I should wait to have sex until I get married. I know God said that's the best way in Genesis 2, you know, that you shall wait. And, and you shall leave your mother and father's house. Like, you know, it alludes to this act of marriage before you are one. But I don't think that's the best way to do it, God. Uh, you know, we, and that's a, you see how we're making these choices on a regular basis? And we're saying, okay, God, I see your word, but that's not authority in my life. I am the authority in my life. So I'm taking your word and I'm taking my word and I'm saying, okay, my word comes over yours. That's what Adam did in the garden. You guys remember that? I'm not going to listen to your word. I'm going to do it my way. That's, that's sin. And this is the problem with humanity. And this is what we need to repent of. 
is not, is not listening to God's word and not being obedient to the word. And that's the message over and over that he's going to say in, in, Deuter- in, uh, in Judges here. And, and, and uh, the reason I want to talk about Father's Day is because you guys that are dads, when you choose to do that in your life, I don't think we really understand the, the consequences that that has for our families later on. When me as a dad decides to make choices that aren't true to God's word, my kids see that in my life, right? And so uh, they're going to be growing up underneath looking at me as a model. And, and what am I modeling for them? That's why when we, when we read through Deuteronomy in chapter 6, when we did the Shema, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And you shall teach it to your kids when you wake up in the morning, when you walk on the street, when you lay down at night, when you meet in the marketplace. You're to be teaching your children not only in what you say, but also in what you do. Because it only takes one generation not being willing to follow God that an entire generation may never follow God. That's what, that's what happens here. I mean, we look over in 2 verse 10. It says, And all the nations also were gathered to their fathers. So this, this generation had died out, the ones that had come into the promised land. And look what happens. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. Man, that quickly? How can we forget that quickly? How can we forget all of the works that God had done? It's because one generation didn't live obediently and then it had consequences that affected the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. I know we live in a very individualistic culture, but your sin and my sin has generational effects. And guess what? Your obedience and my obedience has generational effects, too. And not only that, it's the best way to do it God's way. We know that, but we just need to be reminded of it. And so we have this people of Israel that we can constantly learn, look back on, and learn from their stories. And we have our stories that we can constantly look back to and learn and say, you know what? It is best doing it God's way. And I think that's what God is calling us to do. Because when you look over in, in chapter 3, verses, verse 4, it says, um, verse 5, So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, um, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters took themselves for, and their daughters took to them for wives, and their own daughters gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Wow. Isn't that exactly what God said? I don't want that to happen. This is why you're obedient, because I don't want that to happen. This is why you're obedient, because God knows, right? He's sovereign. He knows what's going to happen to you. God tells them not to marry this nation. You know what God tells us? Don't marry unbelievers. That's a command. Jesus said that. You're not to marry someone that's not a believer. Why? Because it's going to lead you away. That, that's that moment in which we come to where we say, I don't like that, God. I love this person. Well, then you're taking your feelings and you're exalting them above the authority of God. You now take the place of God in your life when you are the ultimate decider of what is true and what isn't true, what you will do and what you won't do. And I want to warn you guys out of love, and I'm speaking to myself here, it's dangerous to do that because there's consequences of not doing it God's way. And out of grace for us, God's going to give us the book of Judges so that we can learn 
the consequences of what happens when we don't live uh, God's way. Um, and I want to show you guys a, a few e- examples of this. So what happens in, in 2, 14 through 15, so they choose not to be obedient. Uh, Joshua dies, a generation doesn't know him. And it says in two fourteen. so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. And he says it again over in 3. He says that he does this in 3-4. For they were for the testing of Israel so that they would know whether Israel would obey the commands of the Lord. Here's the thing. God will give you over to your sin to teach you what it's like to live outside of of his perfect will for your life. Wow, did you guys feel that? Like, I felt the weight of that truth all of a sudden in my life. Like, I don't know if that was the Holy Spirit convicting me of, of sin, but God will give you over. Guys, you want to fill your mind with porn? God will give you over to that. And you'll see how that affects your marriage and affects your kids. And it affects your walk with him. You want to give yourself over to selfishness, to investing all yourself and your money in, in yourself? God will give you over to that, to teach you that it can't fulfill and it can't give you purpose in life. And you won't ever find the thing that you're really looking for because it's not in those things, it's in him. And I thank God that he puts that truth in his, in his word to, to remind us of that. And so it's okay to stop at times and to examine your life and say, man, what trials am I going through right now? What is God trying to teach me? Do I have sin in my life that I need to repent of? Because ultimately that's what God wants. He wants to lead them to repentance. And, he, and ultimately he does that. So he gives them over to these nations. He says, okay. I'll, I'll let you intermarry with them. I'll let you use them as slave labor. I, I, will let you d- I will let them dwell among you, and you can worship their gods. And then, and then look what happens. And you don't have to flip to all of these. I'll just, I'll just give you a few examples. So it says in, in 3.8, after eight years under the Armenians, Israel cries out and repents. After eight years of living among these people and the torture of it, they cry out and repent. In 4.3, um, in 314, after 18 years under the Moabites, the people of Israel cry out and repent to God. After 20 years under the Canaanites in 4.3, the people repent and they cry out to God. After 7 years under Midian in 6.6, the people cry out and return to God. After 18 years under the Amorites, they finally cry out and return to God. Let's, let's look at that one. So I want to see you guys, I'm not just making these up. Look at it, 10, 10 through 16. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did not I save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the um, Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidonians and also the Amalekites and the, Mas- Mas- and, the, and the Maonites? When they oppressed you and you cried out to me, I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore I save you no more. Now this is it. Look, look at this. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. 
And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them, and they served the Lord. It says, And he became impatient over the misery, of Israel, the misery of Israel. That's a good thing when God becomes impatient over your misery. And he rescues you. That's what God wants to do to us today. He wants to rescue us. He's a rescuing God, right? Isn't that, isn't that we've seen this entire time throughout the Old Testament? God rescuing his people. God rescuing them out of Egypt. God rescuing them out of the wilderness. And now God's going to rescue them out of the land of Canaan because they're going to see that they have wandered to other things, that they've wandered to other gods. They're going to repent of those things, and God is going to give them judges. And they're going to come in, and they're going uh, to save them. Right? God wants to rescue you today. And if you have a trial that you're going through in your life, if you have uh, uh, the weight of sin that you're feeling, maybe just the reality of, of living in a broken world, Maybe there's something that God wants to teach you right now. And so it's, it's okay to ask God what that is. As I was studying through this this week, it really reminded me of Hebrews 12. Uh, Hebrews is, is, is a really encouraging book. So I wanted to, to jump over to Hebrews 12. And, and I hope that you guys that are going through trials right now, um, that feel the weight of, uh, of whatever's going on in your lives, that, that this, will, this will, bring, will bring hope to you. If you have a Bible, flip over to Hebrews 12 and... Write and underline and print this out and read this on a regular basis. Hebrews 12, Therefore, uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Like, throw it away, right? Don't just, don't just keep living in, in sin. Don't just keep living the same mediocre, half-assed Christian life. Don't keep throwing God's blessings back into his face, right? Throw it away. We're talking about sins of commission, the things that we know we're doing wrong, but also sins of omission, the things that we know we should be doing that we're not doing, right? Like throw away those things that so easily entangle us, right? There's something that God is calling us to do. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? Jesus, he, he did something. He took the penalty for sin. He endured the cross. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and, or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You, in your struggle against sin, that you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've forgotten the exhortation that I addressed you as sons, right? It's Father's Day. Here's God talking to you on Father's Day. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have endured. God's treating you as a son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all... If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not, and not, and not sons of God. Besides this, we have, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and, res- and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subjected to the Father's spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Praise God. Praise God that he loves us enough not to leave us in our sin. Praise God that that he lets us face the consequences so that we will learn of his grace and his faithfulness. So so then what do we do now? I mean, what do we do today? I would say the the same thing that the people of Israel did. We, We look at the sin that's in our life and we repent. We say, okay, am I enduring a trial? Am I suffering? Are you suffering? Repent. That's, that's what God wants of his people, to return back into his grace. Because once again, isn't that the best way? Isn't God's way the best way to live? So God has grace for his people, just like he has grace for you. And in, and in, and in Israel, he gives them judges to, to, to bring them back to him. They repent, and he, and he says, okay, I'll give you a judge. And so that's what we see in the beginning of the book of Judges in, in, in chapter 3. And I want to read um, in chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who had plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned their backs and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after God, serving them and bowing down to them. Yep. (laughs) I see myself there. I see myself returning to sin over and over again. But God in his grace, he provides them with judges. He provides us with Jesus, right? He provides us for a way to return to him. At any moment, we can repent and return back to God and begin to live in the promised land the way that he intended for us to live. And so next week what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these judges. And they're a really interesting group of people. In verse three, in chapters three through sixteen of Judges, it's going to walk through twelve stories of twelve different judges, and uh, and the most famous of those judges um, are Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. Those are the stories that you were probably told if you grew up in church or in Sunday school, and they are they are a ragtag uh, group of deliverers. Um, as I read uh, throughout this last week, I was reading some stuff, and, and one of the books I read um, I described them as a reluctant farmer a prophetess, a left-handed assassin, a bastard bandit, and a sex-addicted Nazarite. Those are the judges that God's going to provide. You know, they're not going to be perfect people by any means, but God is going to use them to, to rescue the people out of their sin. But the thing is, they're only going to rescue a small group of people for a limited time. Why? Because all of these judges are meant to point toward something greater that is still coming a greater Savior that is still going to come. Isn't that what this whole story has been about so far? Adam, the sinless creation, uh, the sinful creation was meant to point to Jesus, the, the, the sinless one. 
Abraham, who God made covenant, covenant with, was meant to point to Jesus who fulfilled the covenant. Joseph, who rescued out of starvation, is meant to point to Jesus who rescues out of sin. Moses, who, who was given the law, points to Jesus who fulfills the law. The sacrificial system that was imperfect in, in removing all sins points to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice that once and all atones for the wrath of God. A priesthood that could not even atone for their own sins points to Jesus, the perfect high priest, right? Judges who are going to be imperfect or are only going to deliver a small group of people will point toward a perfect judge who will one day come and deliver people for all time. And then coming up, it's going to be kings who, if they obey God, will live in his blessing and lead their people well. But if they don't, lead their people into slavery. And prophets who will tell about the Messiah to come, they'll prophesy about one that is still coming, the perfect king of kings. They point toward Jesus who clothed himself in flesh and came to this earth and lived and died for your sins. When you guys live in obedience to God, when I live in obedience to God, it's not living in misery. It's living in the promised land. And so if you're living in misery and in bondage to sin, it's not that you haven't been delivered. Jesus has come, right? We live after the cross. It's maybe that, that, that there has some repenting that needs to be done there in your life. Maybe there's just some, some honest, get on your knees before God and say, God, I, I realize that I'm living in rebellion to you. Father, would you... Would you you know, Jesus has already paid the penalty of your sin. He's already made you right in the eyes of God. You just are living like you don't know it. You're not living in the shadow of the cross. And so that's as easy as just coming to God and saying, Father, I, I realize what you've done through Jesus Christ. I realize that your, your body was broken, that your blood was shed for me, that you've atoned the price for my sin. That's the good news of the gospel, that we don't have to live the way that Israel lived. We live in a whole new covenant, a whole new relationship with God. In his eyes, God doesn't look down at us and say, man, you didn't obey, I'm going to punish you. Right? You're, you're probably living in, in punishment because you're just making bad choices. You're not taking God's word at heart and living obediently to it. So hey, there's hope, right? to return to God, to find peace, to find life the way that he intended us to live. And that's what we do when we come to these tables, right? We break the bread and we say, okay, the penalty has been paid for my sin. Yes, this past week, God, I have lived in rebellion to you. I've wandered to other gods. I've lived in idolatry. I've lived for other things, Father. But I realize that you paid the penalty for my sin. I come to this table and I say, you know what? I'm Israel, right? I've whored after other things, God. Thank you so much for your grace. Wow. Wow, God, that, that I can live in rebellion to you, but then I can come to this table and I can remember that in your eyes I'm, I'm as holy as Jesus is. Not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done. 
That's why we take communion every single week. Because we are so prone to forget how good God is and that he's forgiven us of our sin. That's why we meet on a weekly basis as God's people over and over again. We not only meet here, but we meet in home community. And we, and we are honest with how life is going and with, with our struggles and with our sins and with our disbelief. And then what do we do at home community? We speak the gospel into each other's lives. We don't just give good advice. We give God's advice. We speak the truth of God's word, even if it hurts, because we love one another. I come here and I, I tell you guys this because I love you. And I, I want you guys to live in a way that brings glory and honor to God because it's the best way to live. And as his people, when we will humble ourselves and we will repent of our sin, God will restore us and he will use us for his glory. That's our role in this relationship. For every set of choices that you make, there's two motives. There's your motives and there's God's motives. You know, there's something that you may want to do and you have to make sure that your motive lines up with the truth of God's word because he has something that he wants to do through you. And trust me, his motives are pure and right and holy. The only way that ours are is because we live according to the word of God. And if we will begin to do that as his people, I truly believe that God will use us for an amazing work. And as we go out of this place and we tell other people about the truth of God's word, I believe that he will use us for his glory. So that's a hard message, you know? Like, that's a hard truth. And I really wrestled with it this past week. And it's like, God, can I just do a happy message? I like the happy messages. You know, we did genocide last week. Can we do something happier this week? But as we walk through the scriptures... God says something to us at this moment and at this time. And this is what God had for us today. So men, if you're not leading your family, repent. Repent at the table. Repent to your wife. Dads, if you're not leading your kids, repent. Moms, wives, spouses, the single people in the room, if, if, if we're living in disobedience, let's have a joyous celebration of repentance today before the king. We'll do that at the tables. We'll do it when we cry out and worship. And we will allow God's spirit to once again fill us and use us. Because he says that he will walk with us. He'll provide that person to come and rescue us. Just like he's going to provide judges to the people. He will rescue you. From your sin. He will rescue you from your trial. It's coming before God with a proper response. So I'm going to ask our worship guys to come back up here and lead us in a time of, of response to God and song and, and speaking those truths out to Him. Uh, but also in prayer. Uh, if you want someone to pray with you, we're going to have some people up here on the front row that would love to, to pray. We're going to give our offering as an act of worship to God, of saying, God, I, I'm giving back to you of what you've given to me. We're going to take communion. This is, this is that time when we, we move with our bodies and our actions and our words.
that even the sins of, of commission and omission, right? The things that we know we're supposed to do that we don't. We move in action as the people of God. So let's pray and let's respond to God. Uh, Father, thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you that you discipline us, God. I love my children, Father. I, I truly do. And when they disobey, I love them enough not to allow them to live in that sin. And God, I am an imperfect father. There's times when I'm just lazy and I just don't feel like it. And I'm so grateful that you're not like that. I'm so grateful that you're the perfect father that has a perfect will and a perfect agenda. I love that out of your nature, that you are good and right and holy, that that you are love. And what comes out of you is love. Father, I don't know why we think that following you is going to be drudgery. I don't know why we think that following you isn't the best way to live. So thank you that you love us enough to to allow us to, to suffer the consequences of our sin. And then thank you that you love us enough not to leave us there. Thank you that you always provide a way out for us. Thank you that you sent us Jesus to provide a way that we could get to you and that we could be holy as you are holy. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at